the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a ring of truth that is unmistakable Knowing that you cannot find them all And if you listen carefully And sometimes even if you don't You can hear that sound Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. God's arm is mighty. He'll fight for you. He'll fight the battle. He'll win the battle. Look, He'll bring a reward with them. He still wants to reward them. After their rebellion against Him and their forsaking Him and their idolatry and their immorality and their injustice, they've brought all of this upon themselves. God says, look to me. I'll be strong on your behalf. And I'll I'll bring a reward with me when I come. I'll reward you when I come. Although the Bible teaches us to forgive, many of us are reluctant to do so when a person repeatedly sins against us. As much as we'd rather write that person off, we're no less called to love them and extend grace and forgiveness, just as we've been forgiven. In today's message, Pastor Dan reflects on how God's grace far surpasses our own and that he even seeks to reward those who he's forgiven. In his study, you'll learn about how his call for Israel to lift her head from sorrow and look forward to the reward of restoration and protection. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 38, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. He says here, say to the cities of Judah, the cities of Judah, the cities of Judah are in ruins. And he says, say to the cities of Judah, these cities that are destroyed, say to them, behold, look, your God. He's giving an invitation to cities, to people that live in those cities whose cities are in ruins because of their sin. Their cities are in ruins. Their lives are in ruins because of their sin. And God says to them, Behold, look to your God. Look to your God. He doesn't say, You did this to yourself. You got what you deserved because of your sin. Look at the mess you've made of your life. Now, after everything is destroyed and ruined because of their sin, God appeals to them and invites them and says, No, look to your God. Look to your God. Everything's ruined, everything's destroyed. But the door is still open. You can still look to your God. You can still call upon Him. And He will hear you and He will save you. Verse 10 says, Behold, look, 
you look to your God and call upon him, behold, the Lord, Yahweh, God, shall come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. God's arm is mighty. He'll fight for you. He'll fight the battle. He'll win the battle. Look, he'll bring a reward with him. He still wants to reward them. After their rebellion against him and their forsaking him and their idolatry and their immorality and their injustice, they've brought all of this upon themselves. God says, look to me and I'll be strong on your behalf and I'll I'll bring a reward with me when I come. I'll reward you when I come. Look at verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. They're still his flock. He's still their shepherd. And what does the New Testament tell us? Jesus Christ is our great shepherd, right? He's our great shepherd. We are his flock. And he loves his sheep. Now watch what it says here. This is, this is I like this stuff. It says, he will gather the lambs with his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now, here's what shepherds would do. If there were sheep that were prone to wander, prone to rebel, and those sheep had lambs, the shepherd would take the lambs up into his arms And then he would start to lead the sheep by carrying their lamb. And that mama, that mama sheep would naturally follow the shepherd because he's got her lamb. And so she's going to stay close now to the shepherd. She used to wander away before. She was hard to control before. But now that the shepherd's got her lamb, she's going to stay right by his side. You know, God's got some pretty creative ways to get us to stay close to him, doesn't he? You know, he can do things in our lives to get our attention and get us staying close to him if we won't do it on our own. He might use our children to do that. He might use a trial. He might use a health crisis in our life that gets us close to the shepherd. And he'll just kind of gently lead us now using that thing that keeps us close to him. And so that's the picture that's here in verse 11 with the shepherd gently leading his flock by taking the lambs into his arms, and now the rest of the sheep are going to stay close by. Verse 12 now, verse 12 begins to uh, give us a description of the greatness of God and the bigness of God. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or the palm of his hand? and measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. So God is not only our shepherd, but he's a powerful creator. It says he can hold the waters of the earth in the palm of his hands. I, I did a little reading today. The Pacific Ocean is approximately seven miles deep at its deepest point, and it covers an area of 62 million square miles. And God can hold the Pacific Ocean in the palm of his hand. 
And he can measure the universe, it says, with the span of his hand. The span of your hand is the distance from the tip of your pinky to the tip of your thumb. That's the span of your hand. Now, scientists estimate that the diameter of the universe is 93 billion light years. But God would say it's about that big. The span of his hand. That's how big God is. He can measure the whole universe with just the span of his hand. You know, I'm reminded of um, in the Psalms, Psalm 8, where it says, um, this is David. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the heavens are just the finger work for God the moon and the stars which you have ordained. And David says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Now David says, when I, when I consider the heavens, when I consider the moon and the stars, now I wonder, why, why do you even think about us? Why does man even enter into your mind? Much less you visit us. You, you came down You took on human flesh. You dwelt among us to reveal yourself to us. You died on the cross to save us. It's just mind-blowing. So not only can he measure the distance of the universe with the span of his hand, it says, look at the verse again, verse 12, it says that he, he knows the weight of the dust of the earth. Something that we wouldn't even bother weighing. But it's important to God. It's important to Him. Even the dust of the earth. He takes account of the dust of the earth. He can also weigh the mountains in a scale and the hills and a balance. And the point that Isaiah is making here is, is that God's power is incomprehensible for us and, and nothing is too big for Him. It's, nothing's too big for the Lord. All of our challenges are small challenges for God. They may be huge challenges for us, but they're small challenges for God. Now look at verse 13. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as His counselor has taught Him, with whom did God take counsel, and who instructed God, and taught God in the path of justice? Who taught God knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding. And so here Isaiah says, you know, who counsels the one who can hold the oceans in the palm of his hand? Who counsels the one who can measure the universe between his thumb and his pinky? Or weigh the mountains? Or weigh the hills? Who possibly can give God counsel? The answer is all of us, right? We all give God counsel. As great as He is and as powerful as He is, we all try to tell Him what we think the best thing to do is, right? Or is it just me, right? In our prayers, don't we say, Lord, this is what's going on as if He doesn't know? Lord, this this is what you need to do? Lord, if you would just do this, everything would work out and we give God our counsel? Instead of saying, God, you're so great, you're so powerful, I'm just going to cast my cares upon you, and Lord, I know you're going to do what's best, and you're going to do what's right, I'm just going to trust you, because you're greater than me. 
You're more powerful than me. And you're infinite and I'm finite. And you're God in heaven. And I'm here on earth, so I'm going to let my words be few. And Lord, you just, you just be you and you do what you do. And I'll just trust you. It's usually not what we pray. Usually we tell them what, what we think would be best. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. We'll have more from this message in a moment. But first, we'd like to tell you about an exciting resource available this Christmas season. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you more. Christmas can be a very busy time of year for most of us, and in our busyness, we can forget the reason for the season, Jesus Christ. So my wife, Cameron, wrote a wonderful daily devotional called 31 Days of December. This simple devotional is written for women and is designed to help you keep Jesus at the center of your Christmas season. We would be happy to mail you a copy as our thank you for your investment of any amount in this daily radio ministry. To receive your copy of 31 Days of December, visit our website at calvaryec.com and click on Give. Now let's finish today's message. Now look at verse 15. Now remember, the people of Judah... You know, they were dealing with the Assyrians. Now they're dealing with the Babylonians. Verse 15, Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. They're insignificant. They're a drop in the bucket. They're dust on the scale. They're, They're nothing to God. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. The children of Israel are worried about these other nations, and these nations are nothing. They're nothing to their God. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. Now, to the the people of Israel, Lebanon had the greatest forest in the world. And they had the greatest variety of animals in Lebanon. There was no greater forest. You know, they have the cedars of Lebanon. In fact, even today, Lebanon still has a cedar tree on their flag, even though the great cedars of Lebanon, most of them are extinct, have been used. But Lebanon was known for their great forests, known for their variety of wildlife. And here, it's, you know, it says that there's not even enough there for God to burn it. There's not even enough animals there for God to make an offering from it. It's, I mean, it's that insignificant. It's, it's great to Israel. It's significant to them. But it's nothing to God. Verse 17, All nations before God are as nothing, and they are counted by Him less than nothing and worthless. Now, verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Nothing compares to God. That's what he's going to say here. There's nothing that compares to your God, Israel. There's no one like him. He's greater than all the other gods. He's greater than all the the idols that man creates, that man worships. And he's going to talk about the idols of man in verse 19. The workman molds an image, an idol. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver chains. 
whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot, maybe a cedar tree, and he seeks for himself, or an acacia tree, a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter, that will not tip over. You know, they they made their idols of silver and gold, but if you were too poor to afford an idol of silver and gold, you made your idol out of wood. (laughs) And you had a craftsman make it for you, and you hoped that he made it in such a way that it could stand up on its own and it wouldn't wouldn't tip over. (laughs) And these were their gods. And turn with me over to chapter 44, and look what he says in chapter 44 about the idols. Look at uh, verse 14. He cuts down cedars for himself. He takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He bows before it. So he burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it and prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. So he says there, he takes from one tree, he's going to use some of it to burn in the fireplace to warm his house. He's going to use some of that wood to bake bread and roast a roast. And then what's left over, he's going to make an image out of it, an idol, and, and say, well, this is my God, and this God's going to save me. This God's going to deliver me. That God couldn't deliver itself from being chopped down by you and cut in, up and put into the fire and burned. And now you think this God's going to save you and deliver you. It's pretty funny what people will trust in, isn't it? The things that can't really save us at all, and people put all their hope in that. Now, back in chapter 40, verse 21. Now, I love love this section here. He's, He's talking to the people of Israel about their God and who their God is and how great He is and how powerful He is. And then he says in verse 21, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He says, Haven't you heard? Don't you know? Don't you understand who your God is? You know, sometimes we need to hear that ourselves. Kind of be reminded who our God is. Don't, don't you know who He is? Don't you understand who He is? Haven't you heard this all along? Haven't you heard about your God and His faithfulness and His goodness and His love? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Haven't you heard that? That your Father knows your needs before you even ask. Haven't you heard that? Don't you know that? Did you forget that? verse 22. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. All of our problems are on the earth. And our God 
sits above the earth. Don't you know? Don't you understand who your God is? How he's above everything? He's over everything that happens on the earth. Notice it says the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants, the inhabitants of the earth, are like grasshoppers to him. Don't you know? Haven't you heard that it's your God who stretched out the heavens like a curtain, you know, like a shower curtain, just and spread them out like a tent to dwell in? Haven't you heard, don't you know, that he brings the princes to nothing, the rulers? He makes the judges of the earth useless. He says, don't you know who your God, Jehovah, is? It's been told you from the beginning. Don't you know that to your God, all the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers in his sight? These people that uh, have you freaked out, they're like grasshoppers to your God. Now, I want you to turn with me back to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, and this is when the children of Israel, they come to the edge of the promised land under Moses, and they're about to go in, and they come up with the idea of sending 12 spies into the land to spy out the land before they cross the Jordan River and enter in. That wasn't God's idea. God didn't need to go in and spy out the land. He knew what was in the land already. He didn't didn't need to see it. He didn't need to verify it or confirm anything. This is totally a lack of faith on the part of the children of Israel. But they send 12 spies in, and remember, 10 spies come back with a bad report. Only Joshua and Caleb have a good report and say, Let's go in and take the land. It's just like what God said. Let's go do it. But the ten come back with a bad report. And here, Numbers 13, verse 27, we get their report. Then they told him, they told Moses, so this is the twelve spies speaking, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Remember they brought back the bunch of grapes that it says it required two men to carry the bunch of grapes because the grapes were so large. That's the symbol, by the way, of the Bureau of Tourism for the nation of Israel. It's two men carrying a bunch of grapes on a staff. So here's what they say. The first thing they say when they come back, they spent 40 days in the land. It says they went from one end of it to the other, from north to south. They saw the whole land. And they come back, and the first thing the spies say to Moses is, Hey, we saw the land, and it truly flows with milk and honey. Who told them that it's a land flowing with milk and honey? God. And so what are they saying? God is exactly right. God was telling us the truth. It truly does flow with milk and honey, just as God said. It's got an abundance of fruit. Here are some of the grapes. Then verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. He asked me how I know, and I say, 
That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dan Sexton for his verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah. This extraordinary book is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Plus, it provides us with the most comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It includes the full scope of His life and ministry, from His virgin birth to His sacrificial death to His resurrection and second coming in glory. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an edition of this program. That website again is calvaryec.com. We'd love to hear from you too and learn how Ring of Truth has blessed you. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Let us know how God is working in your life and if there's anything that we can be praying for during this study of Isaiah. That number again is 410-491-4592. With that, our time with you has come to an end. We pray the Lord bless and keep you and that your faith is deepened with each passing day. Tune in next time to continue our study of the book of Isaiah right here on Ring of Truth. It's true.